Hey, good morning, everybody. Y'all are looking great today. Soggy outside, man. Y'all are shining in your heart. Love that. Hey, uh, so tomorrow, uh, Memorial Day, before you um, grill out, it's going to be raining, but I know y'all, y'all going to find a way to eat a burger. So before you do that, just remember what the day's about. Thousands and thousands and thousands of American citizens throughout history gave the ultimate price. So we can sit here today. So tomorrow sometime, take a minute. Thank the Lord for the courage and the honor that those people showed us. Deal? All right. Hey, so... um, Man, I hope this uh, pre-decide series has been helpful to you. Uh, we have today and then next week, uh, and then we'll conclude this series next week. But, um, you, you know, pre-deciding about God is a big deal, right? Where we say, Jesus is my Savior, so I'm going to pre-decide. I'm going to honor him as Lord of my life. I'm going to pre-decide that when it comes time for a hard decision, I'm not going to make it till he says, do this. When it comes time uh, to honor my family, I'm going to do it in a way that the Bible says, this is how you honor your family. It is a huge thing to pre-decide that my life is going to reflect that I belong to Jesus Christ. The average person makes 39,000 decisions a day. And if we just make all of those decisions on the fly, man, we're going to find our life is a train wreck. Here's why. The quality of our decisions determine the quality of our life. And that's what this series is all about, that we can be mindful seeking the face of God to guide us to pre-decide to make good decisions so that we live a life that honors Him. Today, uh, we're going to be talking about parenting. Last week, we talked about marriage. Today, we're going to talk about parenting. Uh, We're going to pre-decide to be a God-honoring parent. Parenting's hard. Proverbs 24, 3 says it takes wisdom to have a good family, and it takes understanding to make him strong. By the way, uh, you know, together, Jason Barrow and Jason Wilson have 11 kids. I mean, think about that, man. I mean, 11 kids, two guys, so they decided, got their heads together, and they decided they were going to write a book on parenting. Wouldn't you be interested in that book? So they're going to write a book on parenting. The book was uh, going to be called Ten Commandments for Parenting. Then they talked a little bit, and they said, uh, well, uh, I'll tell you, we're going to, Ten Suggestions for Parenting. Then they talk some more, and well, we don't know. Ten questions parents have. Then they landed on a title. The final book was, I'm a parent, help me. (laughs) No, no, that's not really right. That's not a thing, man. Don't start asking me where you can get the book. It's not a, but hey, man, if those two guys wrote a book on parenting, I'd buy it, wouldn't you? Absolutely. Um, So it's harder to be a parent now than it ever has been. You know, when I was a kid, uh, there was a little rhyme we would sing. Uh, you know, so it was something like this. Uh, Steve and Jenny sitting in a tree. K-I-S-S-I-N-G. First comes love, 
Then comes marriage. Then comes Jenny with the baby carriage, right? I mean, y'all, how many of y'all knew that? Yeah, right. I mean, some of y'all young people are going, that is so weird. Don't ever do that again. <laughs> but you know, that little ditty just reflects so much about God's order for family. And that is mostly gone from our culture. Um, some parents uh, have to do all this parenting thing that's really hard by themselves. I want to tell you something, man. I have so much respect for single parents who got their own, no fault of their own, but they are doing it and they're working at it. And the family in America is in trouble. Only 17% of families in America represent a nuclear family. A mother, father, their biological children living in one home. 17%. So it's my prayer that the things I say today will help you see the big picture in parenting while you're trying to survive. Because when you're a parent, there are some days you just survive. But I want you to try to see the big picture in the middle of doing that. So here's the ultimate pre-decide verse for parenting. Joshua 24, 15. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors? Do they serve beyond the Euphrates? Uh, or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Now that is the ultimate pre-decide uh, verse for family and parenting. Um, and we could even switch that up a little bit, you know, because we say, well, we're not, we're not going to serve other gods, but if we just kind of said it this way, you know, would you prefer the gods of your ancestors beyond the Euphrates, or it will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live, or the god of busyness, or the god of materialism, or the god of self? Lots of little g-gods in the world. But as for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. So what does it take then to be a God-honoring parent? Um, here's the first thing. Write this down. To be a God-honoring parent, I have to show them a Jesus-centered marriage. Now, now, look, I get it. Last week was about marriage, but this is huge. Uh, uh, if you're married... Showing your kids a Jesus-centered marriage is the greatest gift you can ever give them. Question. Parents, question. Do my kids see in me and my spouse the graciousness, the tenderness, the faithfulness, the forgiveness, the gentleness that make them naturally say, well, of course the gospel's true. Your kids see those things in you to the degree that they say, this is such a, a Jesus-centered marriage that they say, well, of course the gospel is true. Second thing I have to do to be a God-honoring parent, prepare my kids to launch. Psalm 127, verse 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit 
of the womb a reward, a heritage, not a hassle, not an accident, not a tax credit. Verse 4, this is so important. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Now, God says kids are like arrows in the hand of a warrior. What is the purpose of an arrow in the hand of a warrior? The purpose of an arrow in the hand of a warrior is to launch it into the heart of the enemy. Question. What would you desire most for your kids? One, to be a popular kid, to go to the right college, get a great job, make big money, gather a lot of wealth, have a Jesus-centered home, and be a faithful part of a local church. Option one. Option two, become a missionary, go to the Middle East and life endangering situations every day, underground, promoting the gospel, raise their kids in that environment, never gather any wealth, faithfully serve God their whole life with little earthly stuff, but have huge kingdom impact. It's a bit of a trick question because either can be pleasing to God and absolutely God's will. But if your kid wanted the missionary life, would you be just as proud, just as supportive, thanking God for that child? You see, we as parents live in a safety-obsessed culture. But the goal of Christian parenting is not to keep our kids safe, healthy, happy, but to make them kingdom warriors. I want to tell you something. Jenny and I, we talk about this a lot. We are so overwhelmingly blessed with our kids and now our grandkids. How did we do that? We don't know. Here's what we did. I don't want you to write these things down. I don't want you to... Act like this is some kind of formula. It's not. It's a testimony. Because I know what happened. Well, I wrote those things down, and that's what I did. And my kids, they didn't turn out like that. So please stop telling people. It's not a formula. I'm not saying, I know a lot of people who did these same things, and their kids struggled with a lot of things. Ours didn't. So it's is grace. We understand that. Um, but here's what we did. We, we worked at making church a priority, fun, and a kingdom of venture. Now, this is a huge deal about church and parenting and kids. When there's nothing fun, nothing challenging, nothing adventurous about our faith, our kids will drift to something else to find it. Because they want those things. If church is nothing more than we show up on Sunday, sit in the chair for an hour and, and leave and never talk about it again, and that's no adventure. But God has put us on this incredibly amazing, fun, joy-filled 
adventure of faith. You know, at OBC, we work really hard to create that kind of environment for our kids. Parents, please take advantage of those things. Here's another thing Jenny and I did. Um, We were the same at church and home. Uh, If my kids saw me acting differently at home than I did on this stage, they would believe that both me and church was a fraud and they wouldn't trust either one. It's a big deal. Here's another thing. We we acted as guardrails. Now, now here's what I mean by that. Um, Kids, especially teenagers, are naturally rebellious. There's something in them that says, yeah, I want to. Now, our job as parents is to be guardrails. So they bang up against them, we throw them back in the middle of the road. They bang, they're trying to get, no, you can't go, bump, you throw them back in the middle of the road. You bang up against me, I throw you back in the road. Man, our kids all crashed into us several times. I remember one time Sarah, my daughter, who's our preschool, incredibly godly young lady, wonderful mom, wonderful wife, servant of the Lord, I can't tell you the number of times she looked at me and said, I hate you. You are ruining my life. (laughs) Now, parents, when your kids say things like that to you, and they will, especially you moms go, they hate me. (laughs) I'm a terrible mom. No, you're not. They're naturally rebellious in those years. So when that happens, don't freak out. Don't take that to heart. They're teenagers. They're brain damaged for a few years. <laughs> Just be the guardrail. Bump, bump, bump. Here's another thing we did. Uh, ask for forgiveness when we blew it. And I was the one mainly blowing it, not Jenny. But when I would get too angry, when I would make a bad decision, when I would ignore them when I shouldn't, I would go and have a conversation. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Would you please forgive me? Let's pray. And here's another thing we did. We made our kids very aware of the battle. You're in a spiritual battle. Man, I can't even count the number of times. Jenny was so great at this. I can't even count the number of times Jenny would sit the kids down and say, look, we're a ministry family. We're in a battle. Every family's in a battle, but this is how she would frame it to our kids. If Satan can't get to your dad, he's going to come after me. If he can't get to me, he's coming after you. Because he wants to take this family down. And your kids need to know they're in a battle. And they have an enemy that wants to destroy their lives in all kinds of ways. And most of those ways are very appealing to them. So here's the second thing we have to do to be a God-honoring parent. Um, teach my kids to love Jesus more than they love the acceptance of the culture. This is a huge thing. Mark chapter 12. Jesus replied, 
The most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord, your God, with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. And the second one is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. In other words, teaching our kids that God is first and keeping him first will benefit our lives greatly. Teaching our kids that over and over and over and over is a huge part of Christian parenting. Because of social media, there's enormous amount of pressure on kids to be accepted by the culture. If you don't look right, if you don't act right, if you don't dress right, if you don't have the right stuff, you are belittled, you are ostracized, you are bullied. And when this happens to our kids, they live in fear, suffer with depression and anxiety, and so often now take their own life. What's the answer? Immersing them in the love of Jesus. Bathing them in the love of Jesus so that they understand God made me. God loves me. God has a plan for my life. And whatever some moron at school says is nothing compared to that. So when they say I'm ugly, God says you're beautiful. When they say you're stupid, God says I'm valuable. When they say you're this, you're that, God says I am with you always. You can trust me above everything and everyone. And when we build in our kids that, that the love of God far exceeds the love of being accepted by the culture, we are absolutely protecting our kids. Proverbs 29, 25 says, fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. Honestly, when it comes to cultural acceptance, often the parents are as much at fault as the kids. We have to be guardrails that keep them, protect them from the cliffs of the culture. And way too often, parents are the ones saying, oh no, I want my kids to be loved and accepted by the culture more than I want them to be loved and accepted by God. And so I put them in all these circumstances so that they can be. When our kids were teenagers, Jeannie and I believed this, that it was our job to protect them from that, not push them to it. And we believed that it was my job specifically to be the guardian of our daughter's virtue, especially in the way they dressed. They'd get something, they'd go, hey, is it okay if I wear this, mama? Go ask your dad. They'd come ask me, I'd say, Arr. they'd be so mad. 
They got, eh. A lot of times I said, that's great. And here's what I told them. I'll take you shopping. I'll buy you everything you need to dress in a way that honors God. All right, if you're listening, say amen. This is the part of the message that I'm really going to tick some of you off. When it's school dance time, I just stop looking at social media because so many Christian young girls are wearing skin-tight dresses up to their earlobes. It breaks my heart, man, to see parents dress their young daughters in a sexualized way for the sake of cultural popularity. You know, the Bible only says one thing about clothes. Be modest. Parents, I'm just telling you, it's absolutely possible for our daughters to be accepted, be fashionable, and modest. Parents, please help your kids find acceptance in Jesus rather than pushing them to the culture. And it's not just about clothes. It's a hundred ways as parents. It's more important for us for our kids to be accepted by the culture than to show the culture that they are faithful followers of Jesus Christ. I told you I was going to tick you off. Now, I'm sure someone will send me a picture this week of one of my daughters dressed inappropriately. It may have happened, but it never happened with my approval. All right, here's another thing. If we want to be God-honoring parents, we need to correct without condemning. This is one of the hardest things to do as a parent uh, because our kids make us nuts, right? And, and we want to lock them in the basement. You know, we want to say, you're grounded for life. Give me your phone. Give me your car keys. I'll feed you food under the door. You never get to go anywhere for the rest of your life. I mean, we, because they make us nuts. And you, you go, how could you do that? How could you not know that was a bad idea? And we get tempted to do things that are harmful. I love what Al Mulder says about this. Look at the screen here. He says, there comes a time when a child knows right from wrong. And the thrill of being disobedient. Then it's the parent's job to take away the thrill. Parents then understand you can take away the thrill, but you can't take away the knowledge. Only grace answers the knowledge. Here's what Dr. Moeller's saying. There comes a time, and it's young, right? I mean, man, our little grandkids now, Nathan, don't do that. And he'll stand right there and look at me. Now, he knows he's not supposed to do that. But there's this thing in his wonderful little kid heart going, but I want to. 
It doesn't take long for them to discover their little sin nature, right? They got it. And Moeller's saying there's something appealing in our sin nature that says, I want to. There's, it's thrilling to be disobedient. Now, it's the parent's job to take away the thrill. So when they go, I know I shouldn't, but I'm going to, pow. No. You can take away the thrill all through discipline. Give me your keys, give me your phone. You can make sure there's a price to the thrill. But you can't take away the knowledge because one day they're going to be out from under your authority. And the knowledge of the thrill is still going to be there. That's why you have to pray, God. Only your grace can take away the knowledge. God, I want to be more pleasing to you in my life than I want the thrill of disobeying you. It's a big deal. Disciplining our kids is a biblical mandate for their sake. Proverbs 19, 18. Uh, discipline your children while there is hope. Otherwise, you'll ruin their lives. Proverbs 13, 24. Those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Those who love their children care enough to discipline them. Our kids desperately need us to discipline them. But now listen. We have to do it in a loving, not a condemning way. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So parents, we want to correct the behavior without condemning their value. That's why it's always wrong to say, you're stupid. How could, you're a moron. You never do anything right. I can't trust you to do anything. You never do what I tell you to do. All of those things are inappropriate because they're aimed at their value, not their behavior, and we want to elevate their value in Jesus. We want to correct the disobedient behavior. So here are a few hints. Um, allow for grace when their behavior isn't intentional. I, I mean, moms, you know how it is. You, little bitty kids, and you're, man, you got one in the high chair, you got one on your hip, and you're trying to do everything, and, and you just try, you're trying to get ready to go somewhere, and you, got, and you, put, a, you put something to eat that, and I'm going to get this. And then you turn around, and they have taken their juice and just poured it over their head. I, I, I mean, you just, you want to be angry, right? I mean, you are angry. You are frustrated. But they're not saying, I'm going to pour this juice over my head and watch my mom lose her mind. <laughs> no, it, it, they're just little kids doing stuff. I mean, they're not being intentionally disobedient. When middle schoolers lose stuff, they don't go, Man, I'm, 
you know what? I'm just going to lose this stuff on purpose. So my, I watch my mom's head spin around. I mean, you know, that's not what they're doing. High schoolers wreck the car. You know, I did. I could have avoided that wreck, but I just wanted to crash into that thing and watch my dad turn into the Hulk. I mean, it's not intentional. So when it's not intentional, you have to allow grace for those times. How about this? Never discipline when you're angry or frustrated. That's obvious because you are going to do things you don't need to do. Uh, Communicate clearly and bring God into the conversation. Um, I did a lot of things wrong as a dad, and sometimes I'd get really angry and scream at the kids and all that. But when it came to disciplining them, I, I tried to reel all that in and bring Jesus into the conversation. All right, go up to your room. I'll be up there in a minute. Go up there and sit down, talk about what they did. And does that honor God? Is that what you think you should have done? And what's a better decision you could have made? Then we talk about the discipline. We spanked our kids when they were little. I think kids need spankings. Especially, most importantly, when they challenge your authority as a parent because you're, what they're doing is ultimately challenging God's authority and if you don't show them when they're little, when they challenge your authority, they get busted. When they become adults, they won't understand that they live under the authority of God. So, we spanked our kids. But, but they age out of that. I mean... You know, once they get past five or six years old, it doesn't do any good. It just makes them mad. But I would go up, have the conversation. When they were little, spank them. Then I'd say, come here. We're going to pray. I'm going to bring Jesus into the conversation. I love you. When they were older, okay, here's the deal. You're going to get grounded. You're going to lose this. You're going to lose that. And we're going to pray. It's a big deal when you discipline your kids to never do it in anger and always clearly bring God into the conversation and then just do it in a way that's helpful. Um, you know, some, I mean, our little granddaughter, Louisa, I, I watched this happen. She's got to where now, you know, she's, she's got that thing. Oh, I can do it. I watched Sarah grab her hand, smack her hand. No, she go, <laughs> Some of them are like that, man. Even when they get a little older and you spank them and they go, give me another one. (laughs) Every kid's a little different and you got to figure out what works with your kid and do that. You want to do it in a way that's helpful. All right. Um, Here's another thing we have to do to be God-honoring parents. Um, Love them unconditionally. 1 Corinthians 13, 7. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. One of the most familiar stories in the Bible is the story of the prodigal son. Here's what I love about the story. It's really not a story about the son. It's a story about the father. It's a story. God is is the father in the story, and it shows how God the father loves his child. So you know the story? Uh, son comes to the dad and says, hey, I want my inheritance now. The parent doesn't say no. God doesn't say no. God 
won't stop us from willingly doing the wrong thing. Gives it to him. Kid goes off. The Bible just says, basically, man, he is partying his tail off. Friends everywhere till the money runs out. When the money runs out, so do the, so do the friends. And then he doesn't have any food, and he's in a pig pen working for a dude who says, feed the pigs. You can't eat the pig food. You have to give it to the pigs even though you're starving. And so the Bible says he came to himself. So he comes to himself and here's what he's thinking. Man, if I was one of my father's hired servants, I'd be treated better than I am right now. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go home and I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned against you and against God, and uh, could I just be your servant? I probably don't deserve that, but could I just be your servant because at least I'm going to have some food. So he goes, you know, you can imagine on the way home, he's rehearsing that little speech. You know, Father, I've sinned against you, and you know, can I just be your servant? But when the Father sees him, God is the Father, when he sees him, he runs to him. It's the only place in the Bible God is pictured as running, and he's running toward a repentant child. And he gets there, and before he can even say the speech, he just says, bring a robe, put the ring on his finger, bring him some sand. I mean, my son was lost, but now he is found. Kill the fatty calf. We never stop loving our kids. You know what the prodigal son's about? The love of the father. We always love them unconditionally, no matter what they do. Now, that doesn't mean you don't discipline. That doesn't mean you don't set boundaries. But you never stop loving them. You always keep the door open. You're my child. I love you. Come home. This is huge. Write this down. If we want to be a God on our head, we have to love God more than you love them. Exodus 20. You must not have any other God but me. That's a small g God. Uh, there's only one true living God, uh, but we make idols out of all kinds of things. In our culture, people make idols out of their own kids. Their whole life, it revolves around their kids. That is a serious mistake. You must not have any other gods before me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything uh, in the heavens or on earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God... Am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection to any other God. Got to ask yourself a question, parents. Is it God, my spouse, my kids? Now look at this. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected. 
even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. Listen, we create generational sin when we put things before God, including our kids, and they pay the ticket. Verse 6, here's, here's the great part. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commandments. If we want what God offers, we got to do what God says. Making our kids idols is so subtle and so powerfully damaging because we think we are loving them and being good parents. But when our kids become more important to us than God, we are damaging them because we don't make the hard decisions that, have, that, that loving God first requires. But when God is first, it's possible to have generational blessing that carries into eternity. And I say possible because every generation has to predecide that God will be first. But doing these things puts them in the best position to make the right decisions. All right, one more thing. We want to be God-honoring parents. We have to protect them when they don't like it. Mm. So easy to forget about the protection of the Lord God Almighty. Psalm 3.3 says, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the one who holds my head high. So as parents, man, we have to understand we can't always protect our kids. I'll never forget the day, man, when, when it just dawned on me, I can't always be there for my kids. I can't always protect my kids, but God can. So when I instill God in them and help build their faith and it becomes real and personal, now they are under the protection of the Lord God Almighty in ways I can never do. Proverbs 3.26 says, For the Lord is your security. He will keep your foot from being caught in a trap. Do you guys agree with this? There's so many traps for our kids. And so we as parents point them to God, help build their faith, knowing God can protect them in ways we can't. And then we as parents do every practical thing we can do to protect them ourselves as well. This past December, there was a family in Mississippi called the Montgomery family great family. Three kids. Oldest one was 16-year-old son. Man, they were faithful uh, followers of Jesus, served Jesus in their local church. 
Man, they did Bible studies together. They played ball. They, dad took the boys hunting. They did, I mean, the close family, they're praying together. They're doing all. I mean, by every observation, anybody who knows God would say, that is a God-honoring home. Their 16-year-old son, Walker, was in his room late at night looking at Instagram. All of a sudden, a very pretty young girl pops up. Don't I know someone you know was the, was the hook. Don't I know, young, pretty, don't I know someone you know? Like, a 16-year-old boy in his bedroom at night isn't going to answer that. Hmm. Progressives asked him to get on a live chat. He does. Turns into... You want to see something? Show me. Ultimately ends up in digital sex. The next morning, the boy gets a message that says, hey, if you don't send me a thousand dollars, here are these pictures. I'm going to put them everywhere. He responds, I'm just a kid. I don't have $1,000. Well, you better find it. Progresses later on in the day. More pictures. You better do it. I, I don't. By the next day, they put his mother's picture in the message with her email address and the entire video. If you don't send us a thousand dollars, this goes to your mom tonight. He replies, I don't have a thousand dollars and I'm thinking I'm gonna kill myself. They said Go ahead, you're already dead. So Walker goes into his dad's study, had the combination to the gun safe, takes out a pistol, goes up to his room, and takes his own life. Within a three day period, this by every observation, God-honoring family suffered this incredible tragedy. It's a crime called sextortion. The dad was a law enforcement guy, and he contacted the FBI because he said something is wrong. This is not who our son was. 
and through lots of investigation, they found out that it's a scam of sextortion that originated in Nigeria. They do the same thing, trap these young girls so that they produce those videos that they can then trap young men with. Huh. Now the dad has started this ministry to help parents understand how dangerous this is. And he has one message. Never, never let your kid be alone with their phone at night or any time for extended periods of time. A recent U.S. Surgeon General report said that we are in a, this was just recently like then last weeks, we are in a massive mental health crisis among middle schoolers and high schoolers. Depression and anxiety among middle schoolers and high schoolers are at crisis levels. The main cause, social media. The studies show that 95% of middle schoolers and high schoolers regularly are on social media and a huge percentage self-reported that they are on social media constantly, especially at night. They love to sleep with their phones because if something comes in, it lights up and wakes them up so they can engage. Parents, please protect your kids. Never, under any circumstances, let them go to bed with their phones or spend hours alone with it. If you're thinking right now, well, you don't know my kid, I trust my kid with their phone all the time. Well, then you're a fool. Parents, you must protect your kids. Sometimes they'll hate you in the short term, but in the long term, they'll be thankful for it. Parents, please. It makes their anxiety levels go out the roof, checking everything. They get depressed. Let them be kids. Shrink their social media intake in a big way. They don't need it, and it's harming them, whether they think it is or not, or whether you think it is or not. Parents, let's predecide. We're going to protect our kids, and we're going to be God honoring parents. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you, God, that you, our Father, is the perfect parent. And we learn from you how to be a parent that honors you because when we honor you in our parenting, our kids are the ones who benefit. God, I pray that this week
there'll be lots of conversations about this. And I pray, God, you prepare these teenagers' hearts to hear this. God, we love you. And we are so thankful, God, that you, oh Lord, are a shield about us. God, give us the joy in our families of following you and honoring you in the way we raise our kids. And we pray in your mighty name, Jesus, amen. All right, let's stand and worship.